Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 179 of the ETPHD team podcast with myself and Anna coming from uh, a new space because <laughs> Christmas tree is taking over our entire house. How are you? <laughs> I am well, thank you. Do you know what? If it wasn't for the podcast, I would do it just for the aesthetic from downstairs sat on the floor but I couldn't get my mic sorted in time so I was like well we'll have to do it from the box room (laughs) well as much as I'd appreciate a Christmas tree I do appreciate a microphone so you're fine you're fine I'm enjoying the view of clothing behind you (laughs) (laughs) I think you can see my suitcase on the floor behind me so it's not much um did I how are you I am good thank you I was I was being the professional one with my big headphones here but (laughs) Anna has been me to it with a lovely microphone. Yeah, I've got a microphone too. <laughs> oh, wow. Mine is not as aesthetically oh. pleasing. I didn't realise when I bought it that the idea of having a microphone is partly so that you can take videos of it and look professional. And clearly I missed the memo. I did not understand the assignment. No, I mean, like like I said, my the aesthetic is not brilliant at the moment. So there will be no photographs. <laughs> well, not that you know of. <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I had uh real I've realized now when people do podcasts, there's always the potential now of taking videos and using them for reels. So whenever I used to do guest a guest podcast, I would never like I don't care about like put makeup and stuff on. So I would just kind of rock up. And I always think that Zoom kind of distorts your face a little bit anyway. That's what I choose to believe. Do you know um, it does, right? No, do you yeah, know what? So <laughs> Since the new setup, I was looking at, I think I put it in the group, looking at backgrounds, did do a couple of uh, calls to clients with the Northern Lights. It was great. (laughs) But you can, there's a, like a filter thing and you can choose how, how much you change your face, like softens it or brightens it or something. It's horrible. Obviously, I had to play about with it just to see what it would do. Obviously, I softened it to 95%. (laughs) It's horrible. I can assure you, no filters on this right now. Well, I got a new MacBook and I swear it's got some sort of inbuilt filter in it. My client this morning when I was having a chat, she's like, your skin looks great. And I said, it's my computer. <laughs> no, it's like, it's definitely my computer. And she was like, don't take don't take the compliment away. Like, yeah, you're right. I'll take it. It's my skin. Instagram does, doesn't it? Even when you have no filters on it. Mm-hmm. It definitely softens it. Yeah, if you take yeah. a video on your phone versus taking a video on Instagram. <laughs> the, the like, ooh, crack. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, never take a video on my phone. <laughs> Even I, I think the new iPhones don't do it. Because when I take a picture... Like my partner has a very old iPhone. When I use his, the pictures are all horrible. I'm like, it's not a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, they're just convincing us that we're someone we're not. And it's all just a giant lie. Oh gosh. So I'm doing this podcast in my mum's office at the moment. And I've just looked above the screen and I can see into the neighbor's windows and that poor girl is getting dressed. And I've just seen her completely front on naked. And now I feel really <laughs> bad. So I'm trying to keep my eyes out of the computer because we've all been there. Um. Anyway, moving on. Do you know what though? Like my my, uh, my windows are like straight out onto the street, my bedroom window, 
and uh, I'll often get changed without really thinking about it. And then if anybody says anything, I'm like, yeah, but windows are for looking out, not for looking into. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, but sometimes you can't help it. I did not mean to just look at that girl butt naked getting dressed. And now now I feel like I'm very, very very mindful of not (laughs) moving my eyes. I feel quite bad, but hey, we've all done it. I can't imagine how many people have seen me butt naked. I do it all the time. I'd say it's a wee treat for them, but to be honest, it's probably not. <laughs> They're probably like, why is this 14-year-old boy running around topless in the cold? <laughs> um, okay, let's get cracking on the questions. Anna, do you want to go first? Uh, yes. On a previous episode, Amelia spoke about using dieting as a way to distract yourself from your issues and avoid the true work on yourself and your life that you need to do. I definitely identify with this. Every time I start maintaining a weight where I feel good about myself, my clothes fit and I feel confident, I also start to think it can't be this easy. What am I going to do now? What's going to happen next? So I overeat to keep myself safe and give myself a problem to work on that I can control. I also use feeling fat as an excuse for not being happy when really I know my weight makes no difference to my happiness it's just one part of my life that I have feelings around that I can manage other aspects of my life like relationships work and family seem overwhelming to work on I wonder if subconsciously I don't want to face the fact that I don't know how to work on the real issues don't know what would make me happy and I'm actually not in control of my own happiness what work can I do to face the real issues in my life and stop using dieting as a distraction tool to keep me safe? Gosh, what a legend. Oh, yeah. Whoever that is, I'm just sitting like, how incredible is that? <laughs> like, I, I'm actually in awe of you, whoever that is, um, and that realisation that you've had. And one thing I would say about the podcast, and one of the reasons I love doing the podcast is because sometimes like Anna could say that to you right in a check-in Anna could be like you know have you ever journaled on this and try to get help you to get to that realization but sometimes it's really helpful to hear advice like passively as in that's not directed at you but it's why podcasts in general are so helpful but it's one of the reasons we run this is that the advice that we might give to this one person someone else might hear it and not even recognize that it relates and I'm sure that your question alone will have done that for someone else so thanks for contributing that question um so it's totally valid it's totally it's it's great awareness that you can see that it's the other work some sometimes sometimes it's because we don't have joy in other parts of our lives sometimes it's because those parts of other parts of our lives are just too overwhelming to deal with and maybe might now might not be the right time to deal with some of them because it is too overwhelming but when we talk about when you do the work on your relationship with food it's like this string and we spoke about this on the the, Anna and I spoke about this on the podcast that we the last podcast 178 where it's like you pull on a string with disordered eating and then it opens up all of these other bits of your life that you can do work on and that's clearly what's happened here um in terms of practically managing it you're right like when you clump it all together it can feel like a lot so New Year is a nice time and Christmas is a nice time to slow down and reflect and to think about where things are in your life. And the question I like to ask is like, if things were like this in five years, how would I feel about that? Or even at this time of year, if I finish next year with things the way that they are in my work, how would I feel about that? And and do that for each part of your life, work, relationships, love, family, etc. 
um, experiences, joy, and then think, okay, well, you might be happy with things. If things were the same way, then you might be like, okay, great. And if you think, well, I wouldn't really be happy with that, think, okay, well, what one thing can I change now? Or what one thing do I want to change before next year? And break it down into small manageable goals. So let's take a take, let's take like a romantic relationship as an example, right? Say you are single and actually you would love to be in a relationship and you would love that connection with someone. <clears throat> and so when you think about next this time next year, you think I but I'd be okay with being single next year, but I would quite like to be in a relationship with somebody that I love. Okay, so that, if you're single right now and you've been on a dating app, you might be like, that's impossible, it's never going to happen. That's overwhelming. So let's break it down a little bit. What can I do right now? Well, I could download the dating apps and I could spend five minutes a day on a dating app. That's what I could do. Or I could update my dating profile. Or I could join a local like hiking group or I could commit to going to work in a coffee shop and making eye contact with people in the coffee shop rather than just ignoring everyone and keeping my head down there are little things that you can do and and setting little targets like that you could say right okay for the next for the whole of January once a week I'm going to go to a coffee shop and work or for the whole of January I'm going to spend five minutes a day on a date app, even if it makes me want to die because the quality of people on there is so treacherous that I promise you um there are people on dating apps that are great people and I know a lot of people that have been married from Hinge and it sounds like kind of like an old wife still like well one of my friends once got married from a dating app but genuinely I know quite a lot of couples now that I've met from dating apps so um and other things you can do maybe it's like you um follow loads of raging feminists on TikTok and they fill your head with like men are trash and that's not what feminists real feminists do by any means but you can definitely fall into that whole when you're trying to educate yourself on feminism of like the this negative side of men or and I've been very heteronormative here so really looking at that and then do that for each part of your life break each part of your life down of like okay what small things could I do right now and it's not about okay I'm going to fall in love and get married and have children and live happily ever after it's I'm going to make these few small steps just to open up some doors and see where that takes me um and just start like in a manageable way, just like you would do, like you did with your relationship with food with Anna. She didn't say to you, okay, for this first week, we're going to do, we're going to eat intuitively. We're going to use your hunger scale every day. You're going to practice self-compassion. It was like, okay, for the first week, we're going to eat regularly and eat a little bit mindfully. And then let's reassess. It's the same sort of premise as that. Just going to do a, a shameless plug, but next week there will be a guided journaling end of year reflection planning for next year so I can confirm there will be some excellent prompts to help you with oh oh that's great I didn't know about that that's very exciting I'm really excited about it I've I've, I've been a good little bunny and prepped ahead and yeah wow I I don't care what anyone else thinks (laughs) I think they're great (laughs) is it in the gonna be in the free Facebook group it's gonna be in both okay be super kind and drop it to everyone because oh, I, I know I've just put you on the spot there because yeah. it's not sorry um that's actually a good point so if you're a client make sure you, you, you're checking the, the Facebook group but if you're if you're not a client there is a free Facebook group if you can always message Anna or myself or any of us for the link for that and you can get loads of free content in there um as this kind of other separate note I'm running a Twixmist challenge um between Christmas and New Year anyone that's on my email list is going to be 
part of or can choose to be part of the challenge and it's going to be a kind of a bit of a culmination of the type of coaching that we do but it's completely free and every day I'm going to set you a new challenge it might be some meditation it might be some yoga it might be some self-compassion it might be some nutrition work it might be some training and um I'm gonna so you're gonna get an email every single day so that I know is a really hard time for people sometimes when it comes to overeating and restriction and food guilt so you're gonna have me in your ear every day on email <laughs> and it won't be every day on social media because I like I'm, I'm doing more on emails rather than social media now so if you're not on my email list then make sure that you are um because you'll get lots of free stuff on there so that was just a uh, Twixmas Twixmas so apparently is that's that like the 12 days of Christmas type kind of it's not even the full 12 days it's just between Christmas day and New Year's okay. day I think and I just love it <laughs> yeah it's limbo time yeah but I was looking for a more exciting name and I thought Twixmas works so that's what great is. Sounds great. Um, because I haven't had breakfast now, just want a Twix. So, <laughs> oh, why are Twix is so good? Twixes are just the salted caramel Twixes. Oh, I don't no, what know did I have? I had when we were in Austin. I had a, um, I want to say cookie and cream one, and it was. Oh yeah. Oh, anyway, yeah. anyway, <laughs> moving on. Sorry, um, we're not properly. Um, okay, deny question. So, um, how do you balance living in alignment with your values when you value security, but a part of your work is not in alignment with your values? Okay, so <clears throat> I think let's be general here a little bit in that there's always going to be parts of your life that are not f- fully aligned with your values that you can't control. Like that's super common. Um all you can do is control how you choose to act. So when we think about values, we think about, we we like them as a direction for how we act and where we set our goals, as opposed to how we can force other parts of the world to fall in line with those values. So if part of your work is not, doesn't align with that, and I'm not quite sure, obviously, the ins and outs of this specific question, but say there's part of your work that doesn't feel secure in some way, is there anything you can do to make it feel more secure? Can you um, communicate that with like a superior? Is that a, a, ho- a helpful conversation that you can have? Or is it like job security, in which case, is that actually the right job for you? Or is there an alternative that is a more secure job that still is in a similar like realm of what you want to do? Um, I think... I think sometimes we fall into this idea of like everything in our life has to 100% align with our values and it just doesn't work like that. There's always going to be times when, you know, parts of your work are, um, or parts of your work, part of your life are aligned with some values and not the others and vice versa. Um, I would also say like you could possibly reframe it. So say it's something at your work that's that's not, doesn't feel safe or secure but you being in that job is giving you security in terms of financial security, in terms of um, consistency. So it's still in line with your values, but just in a different way. Sometimes we can be really, like we can be too granular with this stuff and think, like for me, one of my core values is love. But that doesn't mean I'm in love with a romantic partner all the time. But it does mean that I'm acting every day in a way that brings love into my life, or I give love to someone else. But we could, if I was being really granular about it or looking at it from the outside, it might be like, well, you're not in a relationship, so you're not in alignment with the love. And it's like, well, no, I've got more love than a lot of people and I'm really grateful for that. So it's kind of 
I think sometimes taking a step back from being too granular with things and thinking, well, how else, like, how else can I frame this in a way that means I am in line with it? Or what can I change about my own actions that allows me to be more in line with it? Always think about what can I change about my own stuff? Or do I want to change about my own stuff as opposed to how can I change the situations around me? Yeah, I really like that reframe. And um, and I kind of, you know, explored that together because it was the financial security. I think a lot of people resonate with that, right? They have a job that offers them financial security, but then they don't feel that that meets other values, like feeling a deeper sense of purpose. And that was kind of what um, we were working on, kind of reframing that. But also I think sometimes we're kind of perfectionism can kind of show up in the way we're working about our values, right? That every single area of our life will be fully in line and um, I love what you're saying that a job that's financially security might be allowing you to live in line with your other values uh, and I also think this this specific client is also exploring other kind of hobbies and other interests that she can do that bring that sense of purpose more if she's not getting it fully from her job that I think is also a really good way to go about it. Mm. Do you know what? This is a conversation I've had with a couple of people in the last few weeks of people that I've met about purpose and jobs. And it's so interesting. I think there's this narrative, it's more of a Gen Z narrative, I think, but like kind of like kind of younger millennials too, of your job has to be your purpose and your passion. And 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 if it's not, then what are you doing? Start a side hustle, make that big your big thing. And I and I think like we're very lucky. I feel very, very lucky that I feel like my purpose is my job and I and I'm grateful for that every single day. But I think it's over I think it's overhyped in the sense of your job doesn't have to be your purpose and like your main thing in life that you get your feelings of purpose from you can do that from you know helping other people or hobbies or whatever it is and your job can be this provides security or maybe not in this case obviously but in general your, my job provides security or it allows me to progress in like um a knowledge sense or personal development sense but it's not well it doesn't provide my purpose um, and I think sometimes we can fall into feeling guilty about that when really it's like you don't have it doesn't have to come from that one space things can come from anywhere um that's a kind of a tangent but I, I do think it can sometimes lead people to feeling like they're unfulfilled in life because of that but it's like you can get fulfillment from so many other areas don't get me wrong I'm I think it's amazing when it can align but you can have a completely fulfilled wholehearted incredible life and not find your purpose in your work. It's just one part of your life. Such a good point. Why, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, my question. Building on others' questions about helping family members be more healthy. If you were working with a very overweight and sedentary client who didn't and didn't want to cook or food prep, orders in almost all meals, for example, doesn't like fruit or vegetables, probably eats almost none, worked from home and snacked on chips each day, was too self-conscious to work out or exercise or walk in public and felt anxious about aches or out of breathness when even walking around the house, but wanted to lose fat and be happier and have less anxiety and depressed mood, what would your first steps with that client be? Ooh, it's a very good question. Um... I think what we were saying earlier of taking it really, really, starting really, really small is a key one here. I think, Emilia, you said it really nicely earlier, right? When a client comes to us, we don't give them a thousand habits to work on right away. We give them really, really simple things. But I think also because I've had similar 
cases actually um, in the past, especially if there is a client that struggles with depression and that's been something that's been showing up on and off in life. And when we're depressed, our whole body shuts down. We can feel completely like, now I'm unable to even want to do the simple things like get out of bed to brush our teeth, right? And what's really important is kind of, first of all, really connecting also with the part of knowing that that's just a part of us. It doesn't need to define you. It doesn't need to dictate all of your actions. And it's just a feeling that you can learn to manage as opposed to feeling completely kind of helpless towards it. Um, and then really connecting with, okay, why it's important for me. Why do I want to pursue fabulous? Why do I want to lose weight? How does it align with my uh, core values? How do I want to be showing up? How do I want to be feeling day to day? Um, and then kind of what we we're saying earlier, okay, what's the one little thing that I can start to do, even if that's something really small, like I'll get out of bed and and do my skincare and brush my teeth and make a really simple breakfast. And that could be just that one uh, goal until that feels comfortable. And then usually when we start doing something that feels good, and just that small act of showing up for ourselves, it does create that momentum of wanting to do it more. Kind of what we keep saying that it's, it's kind of first we need to kind of take the action when we feel so low to then find that um, kind of uh, mo motivation to keep going. Mm -hmm. I think with depression, especially, like I think that's such a, a an important point. I think on the flip side of that, sometimes actually doing more, and, and, and this is where it's really person-centered here, sometimes doing more can be helpful because it helps with motivation. Losing, you know, like say, you've, say your body weight is, 150 kilos losing half kilo a week isn't hugely motivating but when you're if you if you've got if you're in 150 kilos and you've got like I don't know 60 kilos to lose actually losing a kilo or two a week might really motivate you and you don't have to be super restrictive at that body weight to see some sort of like significant fat loss it's obviously will slow down as you get lighter but I think sometimes we take it too slow. And again, with depression, if you're experiencing depression, like you're right, Denial, I think that's super important. Like sometimes the smallest things are all you can think about doing and that's important. But if it's if it's less on that side and it's more about motivation, then actually sometimes pushing yourself actually way like beyond your comfort zone for a month and seeing what actually happens um, can actually be really mot be motivating and be like, oh, look what I can do. I've lost six kilos in a month just by going for walks every day, even though it was uncomfortable and um, eating more fruit, vegetables and stopping snacking. And that's, and that's might be all you have to do in that, in that situation. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing I would say is um, be practical. I would, I would recommend being practical. So for example, say this person um, loves to, I'm trying to I'm trying to look at the list that you said. Say this person loves to eat oh, French fries. Um, and I say this because this person's American, so you know I'm on brand here. Um, say they love to eat French fries. Be like, okay, well, the, as much as we don't love to incorporate food rules, you could say something, you can have your French fries, but you're only allowed to have your French fries when you have it with um half a plate of fruit and vegetables. Totally fine to have them, but you but you're going to have them with fruit and vegetables and set yourself that little bit of a guideline. Or um so like something I do when I'm trying to drink more water is I'm only allowed my morning coffee or decaf coffee, whatever. I had a real one today and I'm busting off my tits. Um <laughs> surprised I'm not speaking any faster than you. Am. Um but you like not, like if I'm trying to drink more water, I'm like I can only have my coffee if I've if I've had half of my big bottle of water beforehand. It's the only way I'm allowed, I'm allowing myself to have it. 
on paper that might look like the food rule but what it actually is is just habit stacking and habit stacking be can be so so helpful i think maybe a good book that you could buy this person um is atomic habits now I don't think it's hugely groundbreaking in the sense of I've heard a lot of it on his podcast and stuff. So maybe you could just listen to James Clear on some podcasts or sign up to his email list or something like that instead. But he talks a lot about like the practical stuff of like, okay, so you could habit stack. That's one option. Or you could say every time I go for a walk, I'm going to put a, put a pound in a jar or every time I don't go for a walk. I'm going to I'm going to commit to putting a pound in a jar, and then that money is going to go to charity at the end of the month. Anything anything that I don't do, um, or if I or on the flip side, I put it in every time I do it, and that money goes towards <clears throat> holiday or something that I really want to do. And so you're kind of adding a little bit of accountability for yourself. And the other thing is, of course, values. And I know this person who's asked this question is very aware of values, but it can be. I think. Sometimes it can be really hard if you think I don't really value these things to act in alignment with them. So think about, okay, well, how is, <clears throat> excuse me, how is this person acting right now? Like what, what do their actions say about their values? Maybe they are prioritizing being with a loved one, like a partner rather than doing all of these things. Okay. So they might say that they really value health, but what they maybe really value is their partner and, and that side of things. Okay. So how can we incorporate these things? aligned in alignment with that can their partner commit to going out for a walk with them every day for the next month is that something they're willing to do or um I can't think of another example off the top of my head thinking or maybe it's a work value maybe they they work all the time and that's because it's their purpose and they really really love it okay how can we align these actions with their work maybe we can say well if you eat um a more healthful nutrient dense lunch your focus might be improved rather than having like a highly ultra processed lunch. Your focus at work might be improved and therefore you can do more work and that's better for you, what's important to you. So values is obviously really important, but I think sometimes we try and think, we just tell ourselves health is an important value and realistically right now it's not because they're not acting in alignment with that. So actually let's be honest about it and, and have a frank conversation about it. Mm. I think the only thing I would add, and I'm not sure if this is, someone asking for how they'd support a client or a loved one but the thing that I picked up on is that that feeling anxious when they're getting out of breath when they're um, moving around the house and I think that's your say potentially your job yeah um, but or you're just there to support them and that's where like we don't I don't think we talk about this enough I know Amelia does in terms of like compassionate coaching in yes that is what you're going to likely be struggling with but you need to push past that bit to get where you want to be that's a normal response right now but the more you do it the easier you're going to find things the less of the, the that response that you'll find as well so it's kind of I hear you but let's push past this yeah totally right and this is not a coach this is someone who's asking for a loved one but it's the same sort of premise of like okay I recognize that you feel anxious what is it you feel anxious about like are you worried that actually you're going to have some sort of heart problem if you push past it are you worried that you're going to faint if you push past it what is it you're worried about can we get a sign off from the doctor to say that that's okay to do that that's one thing so that that resolves that part of the anxiety um, and so now it's like okay I recognize that you're going to feel uncomfortable about this but we know it's safe and so now we can push past that and say like let's let's this is what we need to do to get to this point of um 
the next stage? And a question. Really? There we go. I just deleted one by accident. Excellent. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Are there any foods that you have found that can help with body pain, be it from gym and training or to things like chronic pain like fibro? So this client does suffer from a fibro and ME and has recently restarted a couple of sessions at the gym each week. Fantastic that you've started training. I know how difficult it is when you've you've got the fear of fibro or something being triggered by going to the gym I know how psychologically challenging that is to say I'm going to do this anyway because I know that it helps even though it could potentially make things harder as well at that time so incredible and give yourself huge props for going back to the gym incredible um so I've done quite a lot of research around fibro um and kind of chronic pain for EIQ and various things and realistically in terms of the research there is an end that unfortunately there's no foods and no diet type that seem to be associated with more manageable like pain. There are some supplements, so vitamin C, vitamin E, coenzyme Q10. These supplements may potentially potentially have some sort of benefit, but realistically, again, the evidence is quite um is not robust in any way. And it, there's some research around like those supplements with pain specifically and um but the, the study design was always really poor there's a lot of wide variety between like different people small sample sizes high degree of bias in studies so we would never kind of say there's evidence for this supplementation um the other thing but but on the flip side of that if there's potential that it might help then would i recommend it on a one-to-one -one basis this is not me blanket recommending everyone with fibro or ms or etc do this i would recommend everyone look into it and you can always message me and, and you're obviously working with this person Anna, so you can have this conversation that might be suitable for you the other thing is there's again sketchy evidence around veganism but i don't think it's veganism i think it's mediterranean style diet and um, that's that's potentially helpful because of the anti-inflammatory because of the wide variety of micronutrients that you get in there and so I think with any sort of chronic illness or pain I always would recommend let's try and find a Mediterranean style dietary pattern not a specific food and not excluding foods or only including certain foods but a diet that's high in fiber high in polyunsaturated fats and moderate to high protein intake low in saturated fats low in ultra processed foods I would say um uh, these types that that type of dietary pattern is probably going to be if anything potentially the most helpful in that sense um but in terms of like lifestyle stuff it's it's really like looking at like your quality of sleep and how you're training like training smart um and mindfulness is there's some research around mindfulness and um pain management which it's amazing. I actually met someone on my meditation course who lived with chronic pain and that's how she found mindfulness. And now she wanted to become a mindfulness teacher um, because she wants to support people with chronic pain and she's not doing it yet. But I'm keeping in touch with her because I said that we've got a lot of clients in this realm and there's such potential. And the problem with mindfulness sometimes in pain is that it encourages you to lean into it. And that can be really difficult when you're in a lot of pain. And so people avoid it. But actually, if you can master it it can actually be really really helpful so um unfortunately there's no like one specific food but i, I would definitely look at dietary patterns and potentially those supplements or, or foods containing those nutrients as well um 
But again, the evidence is somewhat sketchy. Did I? Um, so uh, why does it feel so hard to be mindful and use coping strategies? When I'm not in the moment of anxiety overreaching, I can see that these tools are super helpful, but as soon as anxiety kicks in, I forget. Is this self-sabotage, laziness? I'm not sure why I do this. I think it's um, easy to make the assumption that it's laziness or self-sabotage because we like to beat ourselves up over these things but I mean we talk about it all the time right this has been your go-to coping mechanism when you are feeling anxious and it's just going to take some time to rewire and find a different pathway and it is yeah going to take some time a bit of practice but I mean it's like anything else the more you practice the easier it becomes and it will feel like second nature further down the line promise mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely and like we always say right that learning to cultivate that pause is one of the hardest things that we all like have to practice and our clients have to learn especially when it's in the midst of anxiety and those feelings are really really uh heightened and uh, and what I kind of suggest normally is when we are feeling so so anxious it's really d- difficult to check in in that moment and think clearly in terms of what we act exactly need um so if we can add a little bit of breathing or some meditation something that helps us regulate our feelings first and kind of calm down a little bit and ground ourselves then it's a lot easier to think about those other tools that we may have available to to manage how uh, to, to kind of support ourselves in that moment mm. do you know what i think it's interesting that we're we know that, you know, dieting is hard sometimes. We know that training to failure is hard, but the difficulty that comes with changing your habits, it's like, why is this so hard? Because actually this is one of the hardest things. This is one of the hardest things. I think it's harder than training to failure. I think it's harder than dieting. I really do. And so of course it is hard, but also what happens after like chronic disembodiment or chronic, um, uh, like chronically doing a specific habit is we get, in neurological adaptations neuroplasticity epigenetic changes they change physiologically in our brain if we've developed this habit loop for 20 years we have these physiological changes in our brain so when that thing we get triggered by that same thing our response automatically goes to the other thing of course this is really difficult you're literally training your brain to think in a different way like that takes time that takes repeated effort and that's much harder than sticking to a macro target, much harder. So just show yourself some compassion and, and give yourself some credit for the fact that like, once you've changed this, like that's your life, like you've done it. But it requires like a lot of trudging through the mud, so to speak, to get to that point. Um, and it will absolutely be worth it. But just keep like, g- give yourself more credit. I don't think our clients in general give themselves enough credit for the work <laughs> that we do. Sometimes I'm like, do you realize, I said to one of my clients the other day, I was like, this is the year you've completely transformed your relationship with food because she'd worked with me for a while years ago, didn't feel ready to do things. We didn't want, I didn't want to feel, I didn't feel comfortable with her dieting. And she went away and she did some diets with someone else. And then when she came back, um, and we've, and I love her to bits. And she's done, she's before when things came up, sometimes she would fall back into overeating and stuff. And this year, she's, she's had a colorful life. And not once has she fallen into overeating and it's been like really consistent this year. 
And I said to her, and I was like, this year you've completely transformed your life. Like, have you realized that? And she messaged me yesterday and she was like, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. And I was like, it's so clear from the outside when you can see it in someone and just be like, you've transformed your entire life from the stuff that you've done this year. And it's Christmas is a really nice time to think about that and or to think about, well, maybe I haven't done that. Maybe I do want to do that now. Um, I really like this time of year to think about those things, but I definitely don't think people give themselves enough credit for overcoming stuff especially someone messaged us recently messaged me recently and said oh just by listening to the podcast I've stopped binging in thank you so much and I was like it's not a podcast I mean yeah like we've talked about stuff but realistically the fact you've done that on your own it's like you have to do it yeah give yourself some bloody credit like that's amazing we just sit here and talk about crap all day not crap obviously um okay George's question I make my great-grandmother's recipe for eggnog every year and it's one of my very favourite things. I do, do you guys like eggnog? I've never had it, you know. So I think I've had an eggnog latte, I think. Of course. Yeah, ops. Uh, <laughs> and then one of my clients did bend and booze and it was Bailey's eggnog and I was like, I can definitely get on board with that. I'm so there, so I'm going to try oh, I might have to ask Lucy for the recipe under if she's wonder if she's willing to share it if we weren't on booze bend and booze um that sounds great I've not I don't think I've had it for a long time if ever at all but I feel like I was asking my friend about it and Austin and he was like it's just kind of like kind of a bit like custardy ish yeah I think it's like Advoca oh nice but yeah but did you know that eggnog is not always alcoholic yeah I didn't know that yeah, you see people drink it out of the cartons in America and then like add booze to it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay, give me the alcoholic version. Um, okay, I drink many cups of it throughout the time when it's in the house and feel almost compulsive about wanting more. It is a drink, so quite easy to fill in the gaps, even when slightly full. This is a problem because my daughter also likes it, but doesn't get to drink very much because I've had the lion's share and because I often find myself overfull and uncomfortably physically and feeling out of control mentally and emotionally. I was thinking about introducing a rule where I only drink it with a shot of rum, which would limit when I would drink it and would limit, to a certain extent, my enjoyment of it. Is this a good idea or just another food restriction? What is a good way to deal with the foods that we love that are seasonal, but which we feel a bit out of control around? I think that's a really great question. There's a very fine line between saying, like putting a rule versus actually creating a boundary. And I think we were talking that when we did the webinar on the free Facebook uh, group, right? It's a little bit similar to that question we get asked a lot. How can I balance the fact that I know I have unconditional permission to eat any food at any time with the fact also that I have certain goals or certain things make me feel a certain way, right? And sometimes... Uh, yeah, the way we, we we frame that can very much determine how we feel afterwards, whether you A, you feel happy and content or whether you feel deprived and then you're preoccupied with that or then you beat yourself up when you, in a way, go over the rule that you've set and then that does that create a screwed mentality and then you keep kind of overeating even more how does it impact your other choices. Uh, so I would kind of bring it back to, first of all, understanding like the times where you crave it to see if there is something going on, if it's Am I actually hungry? Am I actually feeling other things? Am I bored, tired in those moments? Does that give you a bit of a kick when you're feeling tired or some stimulation when you're bored uh, to see if there are other things that you can replace that uh, with? And also bring it down to, okay, you know you, you have permission to drink that, but what are the boundaries you may want to create based on how you want to be feeling? Yeah. To me, it doesn't sound like 
any of those things to me it sounds like scarcity Mm -hmm. it sounds like i'm not going to have it in january so i need to have it now um and that's common with seasonal foods it's like again if i'm not going to have it in january i need it and there is scarcity we always talk about no scarcity around food well there is with these foods and that's why it's probably triggering uh, even if you're working on your relationship with food and you feel more comfortable with other things and you've maybe done all of that work that i said there's still that scarcity thing um so i would there's a couple of questions i think i'd probably use like checking in I wouldn't put this food rule in place it's interesting because it sounds similar to what I was saying at the beginning of like the habit stacking and stuff right and you can often we hear the things that we want to hear and see the things that we want to see and so you could easily listen to that and think well that's exactly the same but if you're coming from a disordered background with um with your relationship with food and it's a way to restrict yourself in some way and it's more a punishing thing rather than a nourishing thing um it's probably not the right idea so that's one question is this nourishing or is this punishing probably more likely to be punishing um but with your food with the eggnog for example it's like ask yourself when you're about to have it does this taste as good as it did before or like halfway through does this taste as good as the the first one because most of the time the last bite tastes like a tenth as good as the first bite so do you need to have it all can you just have a taste of it what would it be like to have a hundred tastes of eggnog through the day and get that first taste a hundred times? Well, maybe not hundred because that's probably quite a lot, but like just a mouthful of it, having 15 mouthfuls of it through the day is infinitely better than having 15 mouthfuls of it in one go, right? Because you get that first taste every single time. So checking in with that and try that. And and, and after you've had a taste of it, be like, okay, does it has a satisfied me? I don't mean in terms of hunger, because we're not here to get fully satiated from a drink. That that's sometimes that might happen, but it's very rare. You're getting your satiation and your satisfaction from your food. And so I do do I feel satisfied with that taste and trying and trying that. Um also think about like again that kind of classic question of like what do I want to feel like tomorrow? Or what will I be thankful for tomorrow? When I wake up in the morning, what will I be thankful for before you have the eggnog, before you have the next glass of eggnog? Um and ultimately you can make this recipe at different times of the year. Like if you really wanted it in March, you don't have to wait until December to have eggnog. I have mince pies in February if they're available and I've still got some left. Like that's fine. And I think sometimes we're reluctant to do those things because it's like, oh, it's tradition. And it's like, but it's still a nice tradition. It doesn't like what would probably happen is you'd probably make it in March and then you'd forget about it again until Christmas again. But the point is, is you can still have it. It's not disappearing anywhere and the fact that you can make it is fab because you can do it whenever you want mm, I think the only thing I would add and obviously what Amelia was saying is going to help with the scarcity mindset towards it in having kind of more frequent sips through it but I was thinking about approaching it in a different way and maybe again not a rule but saying, well, if I'm going to have a glass of eggnog, I'm going to have it with my daughter because I know she enjoys it just as much as me. And actually, we can make it more of a thing together. And it's not just about the drink. It's, I don't know, maybe that becomes a new Christmas tradition and you can have a great conversation together. And it's not just you ending up feeling so ashamed of yourself or guilty that you've drunk this all on your own. Yeah, such a good point. Very good point. <clears throat> Anna. Oh, I think this will be a good one for what's coming in January. Do you know of any somatic exercises I can practice? I have found a couple online, but would like to add more to my toolkit. Uh, 
Ah, yes. Well, <laughs> honestly, within the next Seamless, few right? <laughs> yeah, nicely done. Did you write that? Um, yeah. <laughs> within the next few days, you will have any, all of our clients will have access to somatic stuff that we will direct you towards. Just like in our resources folder, we have different pieces of work for compassion, mindfulness, um, nutrition, etc. And there's a new folder. My clients already have it because I've just written it and it's just been transferred over to everyone else. Um, but it's somatics work specifically. So different breathing exercises, etc. So you will have these. And um, in the new year, I'll be running an introduction to mindfulness course as well, which will be a slightly separate course. I'll also be running a weekly meditation. So if you're a client of the ETPHD method, then you'll get the weekly meditations anyway within your coaching programming and you'll get all of the somatic work. So you will be bombarded. Um, if you're not a client of the ETPHD method, you'll be able to do the introduction to mindfulness course. You will also be able to do the weekly meditation sessions and they will be a donation based um session for anyone who's not a client of ours and that will go to charity so and that will be in the new year so there's lots of opportunity to come and um yeah it's the new strand of the etphd method really that's officially kind of coming in january we've always done mindfulness work and somatic work and stuff but we've never been so clear on the links between like this somatic work and relationships with food if you're not sure what that really means it's really about how your relationship with your body and how you're the awareness of your body can impact your eating habits and we've all done some extra training on this to kind of support this transition and um it's wild this the research around like the impact of like some like embodiment work and yoga and um body scans and mindfulness it's wild the impact that that can have on like brain structure and function and as a result of that change in your brain structure and function your ability to then notice your hunger and fullness and regulate your emotions like we're so connected and I am that cliche person with like the mind body spirit triangle tattooed on my arm and it really is like especially for the type of coaching that we do it's kind of the final missing piece of that mind body spirit stuff we've always spoken about it but the idea is that we incorporate all three of these really important concepts within your like your healthful choices so yes lots of it to come um I think we just need to update the app on, on everyone's end, um, which is an email that I haven't replied to yet, which I haven't replied to today and should be done. Um, and you'll have access to all of that. Uh, okay, deny. Um, so uh, I feel like my body's holding in a lot of emotion and I just need a good cry. Do you have any go-tos that help you cry? Oh. Um... Do you know what never fails <laughs> when I need a good cry? Uh, like, cause, I mean, it might shock you to know this, but I am someone that struggles sometimes with showing my emotion. Um, yeah, shocking, I know. But I think sometimes we can feel it, but even though we know that we need it, like it still just doesn't happen. Uh, do you know what? It makes me think of uh, the holiday and Cameron Diaz when she tries to That's make exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly I, what I was visualising. I mean, I was going to say, I, am that person. I was that person. Sometimes I still struggle being that person. But anyway, tangent. Um, no, what never fails is <laughs> Savasana. When I need a good cry, I'll have done my yoga. I'll be in like that. Well, I was going to say loose, but you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> like state. And then I go lie down. I shut. And it, yeah, never fails. I'm 
a weeping mess by the end of it well there's some there's, the idea behind that is that obviously like your body stores your emotions right especially what your hip around your hips around your hips <laughs> <Yeah>. that's why <laughs> my pigeon kind of just looks like very stiff you know got a lot of emotion in my arse um but yeah hip opening work seems to have that effect on people of releasing emotions um and supporting you to cry so i agree i totally agree i, I like to do that like that type of stuff if i if i need it um i also like to go for walks and like not listen to anything and just kind of really think about what's going on and i also find the idea or the motion of thinking about what it is that's going on journaling on it going for a walk and like breathing it into my heart and I think there's a lot to be said in some of my meditation sessions that I that I write involve actually visualizing your heart and visualizing it softening and then breathing into your full body of like that feeling of say for example you're like I know that I'm sad but I'm not crying think about thinking about that situation and breathing it through your body into your heart and imagining that feeling like going through your blood vessels and into your hands and into your feet and taking this huge big deep breath. So it's like you're saying, I am inviting this feeling in because sometimes we can logically think, well, I, sh- I should be sad, unquote, but we're not inviting it in because we've still got that internal fear of really leaning into the discomfort. And so the, one of the kind of ideas around like this part, this type of meditation is that you breathe in that feeling and then you can just let it go and breathe it in and let it go. But you have to, in order to let it go, you have to breathe it in and fully sit with it. And so I like to, it's I guess it's visualization to some degree. I like to do that. There's also some meditations, like there's one on unplug meditation called, I want to say it's called feel it and heal it. But you can get these on any app that you do. I would, And I just search for keywords like feeling or um, cry or or something like that. Or if you're trying to feel like grief, typing in grief. Um, but the feel it and heal it one on unplug I, I did for quite a while when I was when I was trying to process some stuff. And I every single time I cried, every single time, but it's the same process of um they'd ask you to put your hand on your heart, or it, the, the guidance would say, like, what am I feeling right now? Where do I feel that? And then again, this is somatic stuff of like put my hand, put your hand where you feel that in your heart or in your belly or something like that so it's about really reconnecting with those feelings and that can doing that consistently consistently will help with the crying thing like I didn't cry for like two years or something like that and I remember I was like oh this is such a good status symbol I haven't cried in two years like now I'm like I'll cry pretty regularly not even when I'm sad just I'm like I feel really emotional about the old man that I saw in the street and I get quite emotional um so it's 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 yes it's about in that time strategies but it's also like day to day what am I doing to help me come back to my body come back to myself and to notice how I'm feeling and that is where like things like yoga and meditation and stuff can be really and journaling obviously it's really helpful yeah I love that idea Uh, for me meditation resonates a lot especially the more guided ones like you're saying if it's on a specific topic that you know you're struggling with kind of ignite some emotion in you and you kind of lean into that uh, and but also I think there is so much like you know you think so much like rules that we place upon ourselves regarding to crying especially around society in different cultures depending on kind of where the person comes from the crying is bad so it's weakness you shouldn't be doing it so we kind of try to hold in these feelings as much as possible mm. holding in our feelings never works everyone stop doing it stop 
and I'm looking at you thinking, no, <laughs> I'm not. Um, okay, let's do one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one eye is. Um, okay, let's do one last question, Lynn's question. I did have a question for you and friends, but it's not a deep question. I'm just interested in your other views. What does athleticism look like to you? Oh. I don't think it's helpful to define it in terms of the look. I think it's more helpful to define it in terms of how you like feeling and ha- and the set of habits, what it represents for you outside of just aesthetics. And of course, like if you're consistent with, you know, if you're exercising, you're training, uh, and like uh, eating nourishing foods, of course, it's gonna benefit also your uh, body composition as a byproduct. But I, I personally think, especially with the type of clients I work with, if they come from a very heavy background of kind of uh, bodybuilding that has impacted their kind of body image and they really fixate on that, that we really try to define it outside of just being a look. Same way we say that health doesn't have a specific look. Mm-hmm. I think, I guess some of it is like performance-based for sure but then I'm thinking like I'm sure I'll get judged for the memes that I watch (laughs) but you know like when you see parents with like super quick reactions when they're when their baby's about to fall over or something and it's like quick save I'm like that's athletic I'm not that kind of athletic so for me that covers that as well I think it's a broader thing than just kind of within fitness like so many people think about yeah, I just Googled def- the definition of athleticism and the current, de- according to the ACSM, or no, this is NSEA, current definition of athleticism, um, athleticism is the ability to repeatedly perform a range of movements with precision and confidence in a variety of environments, which require competent levels of motor skills, strength, power, speed, agility, balance, coordination, and endurance. And there's like a pie chart of things and it's strength, speed, agility, anaerobic power, flexibility, balance, and kinesthetic awareness. That's what athleticism technically <laughs> is. And what that looks like is going to be de- very, very different on every single person. And the proportion of what you need for different, you know, part aspects of life and or sports is going to be different. So parents might need um, agility and strength <laughs> and an athlete or a yoga teacher might require more balance and flexibility. And so it doesn't, I think it looks like to me, when I think of like what it might look like, it's not a physique, but a way of being that allows you to live optimally in the life that's important to you and with the things that's important to you. So that's not a shape. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um and 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 yeah, and so there's no visual that comes to my mind. There is currently a mum who I saw on the train, sorry, on the bus on the at the airport yesterday or the day before, whenever I came back from Vienna, and um the bus stopped and the her little girl like lurched forward and the mum stuck her hand out and she went, Did you see that? That's mum ninja. That's a mum ninja. <laughs> That's her kid and I thought it's a mum ninja. Girl. oh my god so once I remember I was in the car this was years ago like this is prep life when I was in the car with my best friend and um she was pregnant and I'd had to like slam on emergency stop and I put my hand out and covered her bump and covered her when we stopped and she was like oh my god and then I said my six pack bag is always there 
that's why I had that reaction because my six pack bag with my Tupperware is usually on my spare seat <laughs> and when I have to stop, I have to hold it. And I'm, the, oh my God, it's yeah. like Joey and the sandwich. It's literally that. <laughs> and, I remember, and it sticks with me because I think how embarrassing is that? That's what my life used to be like. I would save meals. And I mean, it was a transferable skill, right? Grabbed onto my pregnant best friend. But I wish I could, I'd like to say it was because, and I could have taken that and been like, yeah, I'm just so selfless. And I immediately thought, save my pregnant friend. But realistically, I was thinking, save my dry chicken and my dry <laughs> How upsetting yeah. is that? I love oh, the movie that, TV yeah. series code. <laughs> horrible, horrible. Anyway, let's leave it there. Thanks everyone for your questions. Keep them coming in. And this episode is going out on the 22nd of December. So everyone, I hope you have an absolutely fantastic Christmas and Boxing Day and you stay present with your families and you remember that that's what Christmas is about. It's about either spending time on your own because you want to or reflecting on on your year or being thankful for the little things. It doesn't have to be the love in your life. It can be anything. And if Christmas is a really hard time for you, then I hope that you move through it with ease and with compassion and you treat yourself well. And if that looks like closing all the windows and doors and putting on trash tv all day and eating something that you love then i hope that you do that and um you give yourself the gift of just presents this christmas and have a great time and um new pa- new podcast will be on there on monday but obviously most of you will listen to this before then so thought i'd get that in there thanks everyone thank bye. you bye Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.